a church, we, we're going through um, an incredible experience of going on a fast for 21 days. And like Andre says, when the whole notion was mooted and put up for us, I, I was excited and, and I thought to myself, this is going to be an incredible journey and something that I need to do. And uh, this week I've decided to cut out coffee in the morning and realizing that it is here and it's, it's real and it's, it's going to be difficult. Um, early morning coffee before you go to school and deal with 40 kids in the classroom it's a sort of a necessity. Um, now, all of a sudden, that coffee's not going to be there. So it should be fun. I, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. But I, I, I was thinking about fasting and the, the importance of fasting. And I think for so many people, we, we feel that fasting is beyond our reach. Um, and we think that our bodies aren't geared towards fasting and not food eating or whatever the situation is. But I don't know if you've ever allowed somebody to drive your car that works in, in a garage and, and services cars all the time, um, or somebody that designs cars and, 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 and they get in behind your wheel and all of a sudden they're doing donuts and they're doing spins and wheels and they're traveling at 160 k's an hour, things you would never do with your own car. And, and the reason why they do that is because they know that the car is designed and geared to do that. And God would never in his word tell us to fast and to pray if our bodies weren't designed and geared to do that. So fasting is a spiritual mandate from God to declare something to Satan. Um, and, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. So just a little bit of background. I'm taking you to Matthew chapter four, uh, 3, and I'm reading from verse 13. I just want you to close your eyes and just, just try and visualize what is happening here. Put yourself at the river of, of, uh, uh, in Israel. Jesus coming to John the Baptist. And saying that he needs to be baptized. Close your eyes and listen to what is being said. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Imagine that scene, the hustle and the bustle. Everybody just trying to get a glimpse of John in the river. And Jesus walks into the midst of this river and says, I need righteousness to be fulfilled. Amen. You see, it was important for Christ to submit himself to the waters of baptism before he began his earthly ministry. He knew that he was the Messiah. He knew that he had the Spirit of God upon him. He knew that he was somebody very special, somebody designed by God to win the world from the clutches of sin. He knew that he didn't need to be baptized. But for the world to see and to know that Jesus Christ had arrived, he goes into the waters, he stands by John the Baptist, and he says, Righteousness! Righteousness needs to be fulfilled in the waters of baptism. Baptism is the most powerful statement that you and I will make to Satan in this world. And unfortunately, baptism is seen as something that we need to do. We baptize our children, or we get baptized when we get to a certain age. We go into the waters, we come out, everybody shakes our hands, we get a certificate, we get a book, everybody hugs us, we have tea and coffee at home. A couple of days later, we're still feeling on fire. 
But the importance of baptism is that it is the beginning of a journey that transforms you and me into the ministers of God. It transforms you and I into something powerful. Something that is ready to transform people's lives around us. Baptism is not just a religious tick. This fast now is not just a religious tick. Encounter 4 is not just a religious tick. Everything that we do, we do intentionally to grow ourselves to be effective agents for God. So Jesus gets baptized by John in the River Jordan. This ring on my finger signifies that I'm married. Okay? If I took it off, you probably wouldn't know if I was married or wasn't married. But the ring will tell you that I am definitely married. Without the ring, I am still married. But there is no declaration. There is no visible sign that I am married. Okay? With or without this ring, I am still the same husband. I am still the same father. You see, this piece of gold on my finger doesn't make me the man. It's my attitude, my heart, and my desire to fulfill what this signifies. So because we've been baptized, it doesn't make us agents for God. What makes us agents for God is that we are ready to live according to the statement that we have made in our baptisms. And there are two things that I want to talk to you about with regards to Jesus' baptism. Is that the dove comes down upon Jesus as he leaves the water. And there are two things that are important about a dove. Number one, it signifies purity and peace. And number two, it signifies power. And as we fast for 21 days beginning on Thursday, and we're fasting for purity and power, let's not just fast But let's fast with an open mind and an open heart that our lives will be transformed for something major. Something magnificent. Something that is going to turn the kingdom of Satan over. And that the kingdom of heaven will be established through the people who decide to make a difference. Purity and power. Can you imagine if those two things are given to us as human beings? So Jesus comes out, and he goes into the desert, and three things happen to him. He's tempted, firstly, by the devil. He's tempted, firstly, by the devil. And Satan says to him, he says, you're hungry. You've been for 40 days and 40 nights without food. He says, why don't you just turn those stones into bread? Could do could do but jesus responds to satan by saying man does not live by bread alone you see during this fast we're going to be challenged not only physically but andre has challenged us as a church to cut out other things as well it's not just the fact that we're not going to be eating samis and we're not going to be eating pork and we're not going to be eating crackling and we're not going to be eating sugar and we're not going to be having coffee and we're not going to be having malva pudding and lemon meringue it's not about that it's more than that we've been asked to fast for the negative things that impact our lives 
We've been asked to cut out the rubbish TV. We've been asked to cut out the rubbish things that we read. We've been asked to cut out allowing what people say about us to take hold and to take root and to grow in us. We've been asked to cut out the things that feed our souls. It's not just the food. You see, we can't live by the things of the world. The world lies to us. The world tells us that if you buy this kind of car, you're going to be powerful. You're going to be successful. If you wear this kind of deodorant, you're going to have girlfriends ad nauseum. If you drink liquid fruit, the fruit is going to turn into babe watches. That's what the world's telling us. How many of us drink liquid fruit, men? Oh, just Jimmy, just Jimmy, just Jimmy. But seriously, it's not just about the physical fast that we are going on. It's about something deeper. It's about what do we allow to feed our lives? What do we allow to feed our souls? What's grabbing hold of us daily? Is it the Word of God? Or is it what we are hearing in the staff room? Is it what we are hearing in the tea room? Is it what we are hearing in the boardroom? Is it what we're seeing on TV? Because those are the things that also need to be fasted. So this fast needs to be intentional, it needs to be big, and it needs to be something special that brings purity into our lives. Secondly, we are, not, we are told not to put God to the test. The devil comes to him and he says, I want you to throw yourselves off these buildings. And the angels of God, they will come and they will swoop you up. And Jesus says, the word says, do not put the God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, so how do we put the Lord God to our test? I'm struggling with the church at the moment in terms of there are super Christians and then there's you and me. Have you ever watched in a church service when somebody stands up here? And they stand here and they say, God did an amazing thing for me. God gave me financial breakthrough. Or God healed me of cancer. And then there's some of us, we just sit in our chairs. And we just do this. And then we say to ourselves, I'm not one of those Christians. I, I'm, I'm not anointed. I will never have financial breakthrough. Healing will never come to me or to anybody that I pray for. And so what happens is you have the boldness of those who allow God to work in their lives. And you have the, the, the sadness of us who just do this. And we look and we glory at other people's miracles in their lives. You see, friends, I want to tell you something. You are not powerful because God answered one of your prayers. You are not powerful because God gave you financial breakthrough. You are not powerful because you um, preached a sermon and somebody came to Jesus Christ. You are powerful because you are created in His image. And the day that you went into the waters of that baptism, the day that you made that public declaration, the day that you allowed somebody to take you under that water, was the day that Jesus stood above you and said, You I am pleased with. 
That is the mandate of our power. Now, I'm not saying negative things about financial breakthrough and about healings. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying to you that you too can pray for somebody to be healed. You too can experience financial breakthrough. You too can experience restoration and whatever the situation is. But for too long, we look at these people and we say, how come it's not happening to me? You know why it's not happening to us? Because we're not allowing it to happen to us. We're only too happy to allow somebody else to talk about all of these religious things. Can you imagine something? Here's the crux of the matter. This church, 300 strong? 300? 300. If every single one of us brought one person to church a year, a year, not a week, not a month, if one of us, if each and every one of us just brought one person that we know to church, 300 becomes 600, 600 becomes 1,200, 1,200 becomes 1, uh, 2,400, and 2,400 becomes 4,000. So in a five-year process, this church goes from 300 to 4,800 people. And if you're lucky, you get somebody like me, you grow the church by seven, just in one go. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you get a bonus. But the reality is that there are too many people, not in this church, but in the world, allowing darkness to take over what God has given us. When we listen to the suicides and we listen to the alcoholism and we listen to people getting drunk every week and and people thinking that that is awesome and we sit by quietly and we allow it just to, to be spoken into being and yet the mandate on our baptism says we have a role to play in bringing the world back to God. You see friends, your power doesn't come from sitting here and listening to awesome sermons every week and beautiful worship and sitting in an auditorium that is absolutely 100%. And let me tell you something about this church. I've been to many churches. I've preached around the country. I've preached in, the world, in, in Australia and in, in Israel and in America. And there isn't a church that I've experienced that embraces fivefold ministry like this church. And this morning when we were at worship, why were we flat? Why were we flat? It wasn't the worship team, chaps. It's you and me. It's whether we walked into that door saying, you know what, today my worship is going to rock. Today I'm going to connect with God. Today I am going to have an encounter par nothing. Why? Because I'm baptized and the Spirit of God has descended upon me like nothing else. I want you just for a few moments, just, just for five seconds, Close your eyes right now and just come before God and ask Him to just tell you that He has anointed you with His Spirit. Just receive that in the next five seconds. Receive His anointing. You see, friends, when you become a member of a a football team, American football team, you get a manual this big, this big, okay? You have to read every defensive play. You have to know every attacking play. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't, there are, you know that there are 100 people on a football team, 
A hundred people. Okay, there's three kickers. There's there's a hundred players on a nat- on a football team. If one of you doesn't understand the play when they call it, and you make a mess, you won't play again. Now, luckily, we're not like that in church. But we've been given a manual. We've been given a manual, and we need to know the manual. We need to know the mandate of Jesus Christ in the world. He's called you and me to be the players, to make sure we know what he's all about. And through this fast, we are reconnecting with God, and we are saying, Lord, let that power reign supreme in me. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Trust me in your times of trouble, And I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. You see, friends, we need to understand that our mandate is to worship God in all circumstances. To know that we are anointed in all circumstances. Uh, And you know what? I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to me. Because I didn't worship God in all circumstances. I'm standing here a reformed worshiper that's been led on a journey to come back and to say, you know what, Lord God, no matter what happened in my life, you still loved me. You still cared for me. You still embraced me. And that same spirit is still upon me. See, it's not just when we are having our prayers healed and we're having financial breakthrough and we are buying new houses and we are... It's not about that. Wherever you are today, no matter who you are today, the power of God is upon you. And lastly, we have to realize that the devil has control of the kingdoms. Jesus gets told by the devil, do you see what's out there? If you would just bow your knee... If you would just bow your knee before me now and worship me, I will give you everything. You know why Satan can say that? Because he has control of the kingdoms. He has control of our TV. He has control of our, of our minds. He has control of what happens at work. We are living in Satan's control. We are, we are, we are inundated with his ways of trying to distract us from God. He can even tell you that the roast chicken is burning in the oven right now while he's trying to talk to you in a divine way. He can. And you know what you will say? But I'm feeding a whole host of people. I've got to worry about that chicken. They're all Christians. So what? Christians eat bird chicken. But Satan can in beautiful ways distract you from the real essence of who you are and this fast will bring us back to that john chapter 4 verse 23 he says he records the account of jesus when he speaks to the woman at the well this is what he says he says but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him you see god is spirit And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We don't worship with our hands in church. We worship in spirit and we worship in truth. We don't just worship when Dion leads us beautifully. We worship in our marriages. We worship 
in our workplaces. We worship when we're holding our kids. We worship when we're scolding our kids. We worship in spirit and in truth. And as a church, we have to ask ourselves, are we a church that worships in spirit and in truth? You see, the hour is coming, I believe. I really, God has laid on my heart. This church is going to lead revival amongst the churches and amongst the people of our city. Yes, I think it's awesome that we're going to Brazil and Argentina and into Kenya and Nairobi and whatever the situation is. That's, that's awesome. But we have a mandate for our city too. And that mandate is so beautifully planned out for us because you are working where you work right now because there's somebody that needs the love of Jesus. So tomorrow, don't get up and say, oh my gosh, I've got to go to work. You know that work holds the soul of one person that Jesus needs to touch through you. It's a place of ministry. It's a place of worship. We need to become intentional about our baptisms. We need to become intentional about what God has placed on our lives. John 17, 4 says, when Jesus comes to him, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. The question I want to ask you today is, can you honestly stand before God and say that you are completing the work that he gave you? Can we? Can we stand before God and say, I have completed and brought glory to your name? I want to end off with two analogies, two stories. The first is this. When you are on a ship, I don't know if anybody's been on a ship that's gone going down, uh, hit an iceberg, all of a sudden it's starting to go down. What do you expect from the captain? What do you expect from the captain of the ship? You want the captain of the ship to be running down the halls of that boat saying, get into that lifeboat, you go there, you go there, this, that, bring it. You want to hear the captain. You want to hear the word from the captain. Am I right? Right? When the world is going down, the world needs to hear the word of the captain. And you and I are that word. We need to be telling people, that is wrong. That's not good. That TV is not going to... This is where you need to be. We are captains on God's ship. And we have been called to help people to save themselves. And that's a mammoth task, chaps. It's a mammoth task. And lastly, have you ever noticed something about an eagle when it catches its prey? It takes its prey off the ground. When an eagle swoops down and catches a king cobra, it does not try and kill the king cobra on the ground because he knows that the king cobra on the ground is powerful. He knows that he will be bitten. He knows that that snake can do anything on the ground. It can twist itself, can put itself into a ball. It'll take that eagle out quickly. So what does the eagle do? It swoops, grabs, and flies And once it's in the air and it's got that snake in its claws, he knows that he has a powerful tool on the bottom of his body that can annihilate that enemy. You see, friends, we cannot fight Satan on the ground. 
We cannot fight him in his ways. We have to take him off the ground. And we need to start bringing worship into every aspect of our lives. And so as we go into this fast, my prayer as a church, not just those people that are doing it, as a church, these 21 days are going to be life-changing. These 21 days are going to lift Satan out of East London and into the air. That we will nullify every aspect of darkness happening in our city. My prayer is that every family will have darkness lifted out of it. And my prayer is that Satan will no longer tell you that you are an insignificant Christian. Because the two words don't go together. Powerful, purified Christians, they go together. That defines who we are. And our challenge as a church is to be purified, to be powerful, and to be the captains of God's army. So as we fast, let's make this a powerful statement, a declaration of war, that Jesus Christ will reign supreme in our hearts.